all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I hope this episode finds you well. Happy all things fall, including a little lift in the temperatures like we were all hoping for last episode. We've at least had some days of getting to pull out, you know, a long sleeve shirt, a pair of boots, and just, you know, not feel like you're just totally striving. (laughs) Well, as many of you know, I've been out on the road with my sweet friend, Jenny Allen, for the Freedom Project Tour, and we've had so much fun being back together out on the road with this team. And that's really because we actually all just love each other. I also love it because I actually feel like myself when I get to lead with Jenny, and honestly, that can be a rare thing sometimes. There's not many tours that I get to lead worship and sing lullabies all in one night and feel like it's actually a fit. And the word that God has put on Jenny's heart for this tour has just been incredible. She's been talking about spiritual warfare, which is not a light subject, I know, but she's specifically been focusing on how the enemy goes after our minds. And it has been super powerful and super practical all at the same time. And it's actually making me super excited about her new book that's coming out next year called Get Out of Your Head, Stop the Spiral of Toxic Thoughts. And this isn't like an advertisement. This is just because she's my friend. I've been hearing her teach on this. So it's available right now for pre-order, and I think you're going to want to get a hold of it. I'm just saying. I love how incredibly honest Jenny is with women, and I can say that behind the scenes with her, she really does care about women, and she's out here touring for the right reasons, helping women get set free by the power of God's Word And I will say this, traveling is not easy, but I do love it when I feel a sense of purpose and when I'm getting to be a part of and when I'm traveling. It just makes it worth it. Jenny and I might not put together a flashy and entertaining night. In fact, it's actually the opposite of that, (laughs) but it's been powerful and purposeful, and I've just loved it. Well, speaking of purposeful and powerful, our next big tour adventure is going to be our Night of Hope tour called A Family Christmas coming up in December. Our little family is already gearing up for these nights, and we are so excited to share them. We did add a couple of shows that I want to tell you about. We're going to be now in hot Hopkinsville, Kentucky on December 7th. So we added that. Excited to get a Kentucky date this year. And we're also super pumped to be adding a second show in our hometown of Franklin, Tennessee. We'll be at the Franklin Historic Theater now on both December 8th and 9th. So if you've ever wanted to come see Nashville and sweet little Franklin, Tennessee, which is pretty much like visiting Mayberry, USA, you should really think about making the trip. Maybe a girl's weekend away or husband's, if you're one of the few that are listening, this would be a really fun Christmas present for your wife. The first show in downtown Franklin is almost sold out on December 8th, so go ahead and make plans to join us because the seating in that theater is intimate and cozy, and we'd love to have you. We're also going to be in Springfield, Illinois on December 12th. And we're hoping to maybe, you know, get some snow that day. We're also headed to Adrian, Michigan on December 13th, as well as Northville, Michigan on December 14th. Again, maybe a white Christmas will happen up that way in Michigan before we go all the way back down to Atlanta, Georgia for the finale on December 15th. We are already praying through this night as so much intentionality goes into it. We really want this to be a pause during the Christmas season for you and your family or even family, which are friends that you might want to bring that, you know, feel like family. We want this to be a time to reflect and remember, a time to savor the true hope of the world, who is Jesus. And we're already talking through this at list and want this to be an unforgettable experience. We hope that you will mark your calendars now and get tickets and plan on coming out to one of these nights. It's going to be 
so sweet. Well, as you know by now, one thing that I start sounding like a broken record over is when I talk about how something needs to give. And as you may have noticed, I had to skip a podcast last week because of the tour. But I do want you to know that it isn't always the podcast that gives. There have actually been many moments where something else had to sacrifice because the podcast indeed needed to take precedence over something else. So I wanted you to know that I do believe in this podcast, and I believe that God leads me in it, and He puts words in my mouth to say somehow, and He readies our hearts to receive it. And I couldn't do this without him. But hear me say, it's not always the podcast that gives, but this week it was. And that's because we, like most of you, end up with no hours left in the week and too many things left over that didn't get done. (laughs) I tell Nathan all the time how much better off we would be if I could just clone him. Bless his heart, he does so much around our home And then one of the things he does as work is that he's a music producer who works on other artists' music besides just mine, meaning that he works with artists and worship leaders to create the project that they have on their heart. Some of the artists that he's been working on recently, I'll just go ahead and tell you about it. He recently produced my favorite to date Chris Tomlin album, which is called Live from Church. If you don't have that album, you need to get a hold of it. It's beautiful. He's currently working on a new album for one of my all-time favorite groups, which is, are you ready? Phillips, Craig, and Dean. I know that they're a bit old school, but I love those guys so much. They're my favorite pastors, and Nathan just played me some of their songs from this new project, and I was tearing up within minutes to just hear their sound again. It brings back a lot of memories. Also, if you love hymns, Nathan just produced an album called Worship Circle Hymns. If you search just that, Worship Circle Hymns, it will pull up this record that features some of my favorite worship leaders, actually. Some of you might know that Worship Circle is the mentoring ministry that I've been a part of for the last five years or so. We mentor worship leaders online from all over the world. Well, all of us coaches recorded a hymns record together this year. It features Kim Walker-Smith, Meredith Andrews, Jeremy Riddle, Charlie Hall, Todd Fields, Paul Balash, and yours truly, singing my favorite hymn of all time, which is Great is Thy Faithfulness. So be sure to check that one out. It's beautiful and so simple. I think you're going to love it. And then Nathan's just shaking his head. He's sitting here. He's having to listen to all this, but... One of my favorite new artists that Nathan produced is one of our worship leaders from our home church here in Franklin. His name is John Reddick. And if you've been to or watched If Gathering for the past few years, John has led with me, and he just released his song that remains one of my favorites. It's called You Keep Hope Alive. So you're going to want to find that song. But I tell you all of this to be thankful for Nathan out loud, and because he deserves to be bragged on a little bit, he's so behind the scenes always. And because he's my husband, and I think he's awesome, but also to say that all the while that he's working with these other artists, he's also got me over here saying things like, can you also write this song with me and produce it? And oh yeah, can you record my podcast again? And then also, can you go on tour with me? (laughs) I mean it when I say that the guy never gets a break. And here's the sweetest part. Even with all of that on his plate, Since the kids were actually little bitty, Nathan made a decision that he was going to stop work every night by 6.30 p.m. 
And he's kept that role for our kids' entire lives. I remember the turning point when Noah was a toddler, and we were in downtown Franklin at this little festival. Ellie was just a baby in a stroller, and Nathan was working at a studio in the area, and he had come over to meet us for lunch and to kind of be a part of the festival for a little bit. I knew he was really weary, and he'd been working a lot of hours. And I saw him reach for Noah, and he picked him up in his arms, but he pretty quickly buried his head in Noah's little chest and just lost it. I remember he just put Noah up on his shoulders and turned around and kind of walked away from the crowd really quick to just kind of shake it off. (laughs) But after that day, he made a choice that he was going to be present in their lives no matter how much his workload is. He comes in at 6.30 p.m. Many times he helps me finish up dinner. We eat together. We usually play a game or we watch a show together that we all like, and then He's always done the bedtime routine with me, and sometimes for me, if he knows that I need a break. And on those occasions where his workload is unusually heavy, like it is right now, he will work after everyone else is down for the night so that no one feels his workload. There's not very many people who would know career-wise what that's actually cost him, especially in terms of what he's been chosen to work on and what he hasn't. But deep down, it doesn't matter. Because I tell you this, he's reaping what he's sown with our kids after all these years just by simply showing up and being consistent and being in their lives. And I hope that encourages you today, by the way, that you just showing up and being consistent with the people that matter in your life, you're going to reap what you sow. That's one of God's principles, so that means it actually works. And I've seen Nathan build a pillar of trust with our children and an unbelievable amount of respect from them. And I'll tell you this, that goes a really long way. When you start talking to your kids about Jesus, they listen in a different way when you've built that kind of trust and respect and when you just keep showing up. That goes for anyone in your life, not just your kids. Anyway, Nathan is completely embarrassed at this point. But the week before we left for this past tour run, we just ran out of hours, like I said, and then you should have seen the hilariousness of just trying to get out the door to even head to the bus. Nathan and Noah were loading up the truck, and there's just three of us, but you wouldn't believe all the bags and the gear that it takes to go on a tour run. My parents arrived, and they were going to help with the girls while we were gone, and they brought their little dog, who was excited to see her cousin dogs, which are our two dogs. But our two dogs were too busy going bananas to notice their dog because they know exactly what is happening when the suitcases come out. In fact, as I was packing, George Banks, my little dachshund, kept getting up inside my suitcase and laying across my clothes so that maybe I would somehow not forget him this time when I headed to the bus. (laughs) So it was like the dog circus with our dogs pacing around trying to figure out if they were going or staying. George, of course, has high hopes that he's going on the bus because it's happened before and it's about his favorite thing ever. But our bigger dog, Brave, he's freaking out because I guarantee you he's hoping that he's actually going to get boarded. That's his dream, to go hang out with other dogs and flirt with all the girl dogs for several days. (laughs) So yes, dog circus, and then we finally get in the truck and close the door, and Nathan knocks my coffee over, spills it all over his seat, which meant the seat of his pants because he had already sat down. To top it all off, it was not just a coffee. It was my bulletproof coffee, 
which contains grass-fed butter, MCT oil, one pulverized medjool date, (laughs) and collagen powder. So it was this creamy, buttery, warm little treat for his seat. And this is the story of our lives. I kid you not, he reached back and grabbed just a random sock of Annie's that was on the floor on the back seat of the truck and wiped the buttery coffee treat out of his seat and just shut the door and just started his way down the driveway. Of course, it goes without saying that we forgot something. So we had to awkwardly turn around our mountain driveway and like go back up the hill, get what we forgot. So then we get back out on our way again. We get to the end of our road where the light, you know, you turn right and it's like you're going into town. It's kind of too late to turn back. And my mom texts me and says, did Nate need these toiletries here in the bathroom? Well, I read it out loud to Nate and he just sort of let out this little puff of air in exhaustion (laughs) that he had indeed left all of his toiletries sitting by his sink. And as I said, too late to turn back. We finally pulled into the parking lot to the bus after having to do an awkward U-turn because I messed up on the directions and the awkward U-turn sort of made us go up onto this concrete median in the road. (laughs) Once we got there, everything just got still. We had a moment to breathe and we were just standing there and Nathan just put his arm around me and said, everything's going to be all right. (laughs) It's just a busy season, but everything's going to be all right. I'm not telling you this because I feel the need to explain myself why we sometimes just cannot crank out a podcast, but it's maybe just a little snapshot into why, you know, I didn't add in the pressure of us either cranking out a podcast before we left or asking Nathan if he could also pack up our podcast gear along with everything else he was packing up. I know you might be sitting there saying, why can't you just hire a producer for the podcast? You know, someone that would just, we could pass the whole thing off to He would record it, take it away, edit it, get it out to the world. And you're right, we could do that. That's an option for sure. But then it wouldn't be homegrown and almost sort of duct taped together in a sweet labor of love. And Nathan and I just sitting here together most times and me feeling like I can just be myself and him sort of shaking his head at things I'm saying about him. I'm rambling and ranting, but you understand, I'm a sucker for homegrown and things that are raw and in real time, and even when something has to give, to just be real and honest about it. But we're going to continue with our theme of this message in the middle of what it looks like to endure in a withering world. To endure means to suffer patiently, to last, to abide, to remain and stay, to continue in the same state to stay firm under misfortune without yielding, to undergo, especially without giving in, to bear, to sustain without breaking, endure. Just to recap, we've been building on this foundation that to endure, we must draw near to the one who endures forever. We talked about our confession should be Jesus is the Christ, the confession of our hearts and our lives, and what that looks like for our calling to be birthed out of that confession, as we heard from Eric and Kristen Hill, and honestly, how that confession really does change everything if we allow it to. We talked about what it looks like to behold God, and in beholding Him, we become who He has created us to be. Getting in the habit of beholding God is not only how we endure in this life, but we become more like Jesus in the process. 
We've talked about being able to pause and take inventory on the last episode and how that causes us to be about the things that God is truly calling us to be about. Rather than just trudging through and taking everything as it comes, there's something that helps preserve our heart in taking inventory. Not only does it keep us intentional, I believe it keeps us joyful and not completely bogged down as we take time to take inventory and even order our day around what's in our hearts to be about and do. This makes a way for joy to rise up in what we're doing. Often when Nathan heads out to record in the studio for all those other artists, and sometimes for multiple days, I know the pressure that can build up around those days. Sometimes there's a time crunch. Sometimes it's just the pressure that he's spending other artists' money as a producer to help them have the record that they've been dreaming of, and he wants to make sure that he's making the right decisions. He's got to do a lot of homework heading into those days. When he heads out the door, though, the one thing that I always pray for him is that he would enjoy what he's getting to do that day. And that joy would literally rise up in his heart and getting to do what he loves. That's a beautiful thing for you to pray today for your own life. God, help me order my day and take inventory in order to have joy in my bones today over all that I'm getting to be a part of. And what's beautiful about joy is that the Word of God says in Nehemiah 8.10 that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Well, speaking of prayer, this might end up being like a two-parter. I'm not really sure. But I want to talk about how prayer is another key element and what it looks like to endure. And let me just be honest with you from the get-go that I need help in my prayer life. I do not have this figured out. It's a spiritual muscle that needs to be worked out in my life. So this episode is just as much for me as it is for anyone else. It's worth noting before I even start, and kind of goes without saying, that there are so many different ideas out there about what prayer is, even in the Christian realm. I feel like I can at least decipher what prayer should look like when you are a born-again Christian versus what other religions believe. But even within just the Christian culture, this subject is pretty vast and honestly a very sensitive subject. So I want to approach this with fear and trembling and grace and getting to travel the globe over the last 25 years. As you can imagine, Nathan and I have pretty much seen it all as far as different denominations are concerned and what they believe around prayer and how they use prayer. I think for all of us, prayer is a deep mystery in a lot of ways, especially when we are fervently praying for healing or for a circumstance to change. For some of us, the answer was a miracle, but for others of us, we have experienced the pain of not getting the outcome that we had prayed for. I would guess that most of us have actually experienced both of those things in big and small ways. So I just want to acknowledge that I know that there are big questions looming over this subject for all of us, and I don't know the answers. All I know is is that God is sovereign over us. He loves us. He has a purposed plan, even when we don't understand all that He's doing. So overall, I'm asking you to just have grace as you listen, because in a lot of ways, I'm just working this out in real time. My goal is not going to be to dive into the theological ins and outs of prayer. It's more to just spur myself and others on towards just growing in it. I've been reading a book called Moving Mountains, Praying with Passion, Confidence, and Authority by John Eldridge, as well as a book by Tim Keller that came out in 2016. It's simply called Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. 
it's funny. I mean, my guess is that these two men, if they got in a room together, that they would be cordial and kind. But I wonder how much they would agree on. It's kind of unfair for me to say that because I'm not saying that based on actually what I'm reading in their books. I'm just kind of making assumptions around different parts of the church and styles of teaching and writing and relating. And that's me maybe being a little bit cynical because I've kind of seen it all. Maybe they would actually agree on a lot of things, but I have to wonder, where do I fall in terms of what I believe? Tim goes into great depths about what prayer is, which is very informative and things that we should actually all know. But ultimately, the idea is that prayer engages both the mind and the heart, which we'll talk about in a little bit. That's kind of the conclusion he comes to, which I love. I actually love even the juxtaposition in the title of his book to experience both the awe and the intimacy in knowing and communicating with God. It reminds me of one of my favorite Matt Redmond songs from a long time ago called The Friendship and the Fear. I'm going to read you the lyrics because I love it. It says, You confide in those who fear you. Share the secrets of your heart. Friendship give to those who seek to honor you with every part. Though I'm one of unclean lips, Lord, I'm crying, woe is me. Trying now to rid myself of all the things that hinder me from knowing you, hearing you speak, seeing you move mysteriously, your whisperings in my soul's ear. I want the friendship and the fear of knowing you. There's one thing you have spoken. There are two things I have found. You, O Lord, are ever loving. You, O Lord, are always strong. I'm longing to discover both the closeness and the awe, feel the nearness of your whisper, hear the glory of your roar. Just knowing you, hearing you speak, seeing you move mysteriously, your whisperings in my soul's ear, I want the friendship and the fear of knowing you. I asked Matt where that song originally came from, and he told me it's from Psalm 25, 14. It says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And when I think about the friendship and the fear of knowing God, I can't help but think of the life of John, who called himself in Scripture, as many of us know, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I love that he took that on, basically, as his name and his identity. It wasn't to declare that Jesus loved him more than anyone else. I believe that he was just declaring that he finds all of his worth in knowing he's loved by God. I just think that's beautiful. In John 13, John beautifully lays out the scene of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And I love how he begins this chapter by saying, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to part out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I know that the scriptures Our God breathed, and ultimately, the Holy Spirit led John to pen those words. But I hope to be a voice like John in the world, not only seeing myself and my identity completely found in God's love for me, but I pray that I'd be the one pointing out the love of Jesus over others, to be like John who would be the one to perceive in the room and tell others that Jesus loved them until the end. What a precious perspective. But then going back to the fact that God did breathe the scriptures, what does it say about our Father's love towards us that He'd bring this particularly to John's memory and have him write it down? You have to admit that's awesome. Later in verses 21 through 23, John recounts that Jesus was troubled in His spirit and testified by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. 
The disciples all looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Then it says, One of the disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, again, John is talking about himself here. He says, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Of course, we know that Jesus dips the morsel of the bread and he gives it to Judas. But isn't this such an interesting scenario here of the intimacy that these disciples were sharing with Jesus? But even more so, John, I have to wonder, was it his security in knowing Jesus loved him that caused him to be the one lying there closest to Jesus? FYI, when it says that they were reclining at the table, this probably meant actually that the table was really low to the ground. Think like a boho party here with rugs and pillows, low light, candles. Obviously, they didn't have any light, but there's just candles in the room. It's this intimate setting. And they were actually laying around the table with their feet away from the table. And they would have been leaning on one elbow and eating with the other hand. So already, this is just this beautiful setting of, of closeness and friendship. But doesn't this just beautifully point to the boldness of the beloved here? John is showing us the security and the confidence that we can have because of Jesus' love for us. John took that as the qualification to basically just get as near to Jesus as he could, to get to be the one to whisper in his ear boldly. Think of the courage that took to say, Lord, who is it? We see the friendship of John and Jesus here, the intimacy of sharing a meal and Jesus sharing the ending moments of his life on earth with them before his death. But then if we fast forward to the book of Revelation, we see the fear of the Lord in John, the awe, the reverence, as John is given the task of writing down the things that the angel of Jesus Christ shows him. I love that even in the verse 4, you can still hear, though, this theme of love mixed in with the awestruck wonder. To him who loves us and has freed us, from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To him who loves us. I love that. And then John sees the vision of the Son of Man and of the same Jesus who he reclined next to and whispered to. He writes, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters." In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. Talk about the friendship and the fear. He said he fell at his feet as though dead. 
as the Son of Man is standing there, and in His right hand, He's holding seven stars. But then it says, He laid His right hand on me, that very same hand. Talk about the friendship and the fear. I hope this gives you a little bit of framework of where we are headed with prayer. This podcast is called The Glorious and the Mundane for a reason, and so I'd love to come around how to use prayer in the mundane in order to endure. So rather than exploring all the ins and outs of prayer, because let's face it, I'm not an expert on prayer, I thought we might just focus on the prayer of the beloved because we talk about the beloved a lot on this podcast. I named my Lullabies album Lullabies for the Beloved because that's my way of saying this is for all of us. We are the beloved of God. And to put it in terms of what we've been building on, the beloved of God are those who indeed have made this confession that Jesus is the Christ. When we have believed by faith in Christ, the Bible says in Romans 8 that we have been adopted. We are no longer slaves, but sons and daughters. This truth of adoption goes thematically hand in hand with salvation. Verses 15 and 16 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I shared a few weeks ago about my vulnerable moment of running through my neighborhood in my pajamas one night when I felt like life was caving in on me and I just needed to run. I told you that I ended up on our back deck by myself looking up at the night sky and just weeping aloud as the name Abba came up and out of my gut. This Abba cry, it's connected here with our adoption, which I believe we can say is synonymous with salvation. Based on Romans 8, the Greek word for adoption is the word huothesia. And when you pick it apart, it means hua, a son, and thesia, to place, to place as a son or daughter. To be born again is to be born of the Spirit, which is John 3. It says that flesh gives birth to just flesh, which was our physical birth, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. And Jesus said, we must be born again of water and the Spirit. This refers to a cleansing from sin where we become clean and we're given a new heart to make way for the Spirit of God to be housed within us, to make His home in us, which is John 14, 23. Look that one up. This is just my own interpretation here on this. I'm not saying that this is the word of the Lord concerning us today, but this Abba cry, it seems connected with us receiving the Spirit who brought about our adoption, right? Seems pretty clear in Romans 8 who himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Well, I can't help but think about when we're born physically, when flesh gives birth to flesh and we you know, all arrive here on earth, we let out a physical cry as babies, right, when we're born. But this Abba cry, I can't help but think of it as our spiritual cry at rebirth. We get a new heart that cries now, Abba, Father. So when I was running from home through our neighborhood that night, I'm not saying that I had lost my Abba cry. It was awakened in me when I was seven and adopted into the kingdom of God by putting my faith in Jesus for salvation. But I do believe that the confession of my heart at that time was fear, being overwhelmed with life, being exhausted. I wasn't actively trusting God in the circumstances that were playing out in my life. And certainly by taking off running from home, I was not living in a surrendered peace in God. So when I laid down face up after I got home, I don't think that I somehow found my Abba cry again. It wasn't me 
searching down deep within myself, I believe it found me. The Spirit of God in me and with, with me rose up and cried out as soon as I lifted my eyes towards the Father that night. I believe that it was in surrender in that moment that I was immediately met by the Spirit of God. Again, this was a dramatic, probably once-in-a-lifetime occurrence of me sprinting through an Atlanta suburb. So I just want to take us back to just the carpool line today, the commute to work, (laughs) the folding of the endless laundry pile, or putting away the dishes for the umpteenth time. How this Abba cry within us, the one that first awakened in us at salvation, how it's leading us today to communicate with the Father. Nathan and I have had this little joke through the years when we're in front of our band or friends who know us really well, meaning that we're careful who we joke like this in front of. (laughs) But often before we're going to go out and lead, Nathan will say to me before we pray, he'll say, how about I dial and you hang up? That's his way of saying that he will open us in prayer and then I can close it out. Well, it always gets a laugh no matter how old that joke has become. But I guess we giggle because all of us know that that isn't really how it works when we pray. Instead, prayer is to be continual. It's meant to be lifelong. Tim Keller, in his book called Prayer that I told you about before, he speaks of this Abba cry in Romans 8. He says, The Spirit of God assures us of God's love. First, the Spirit enables us to approach and cry to the great God as our loving Father. Then He comes alongside our spirit and adds a more direct testimony. Tim goes on to talk about how prayer was meant to be a beautiful marriage between the head and the heart, the mind and the heart. He quotes Scottish theologian John Murray, who said, It is necessary for us to recognize that there is an intelligent mysticism in the life of faith, of the living union and communion with the exalted and ever-present Redeemer. He communes with His people, and His people commune with Him in conscious, reciprocal love. Tim says of this term, intelligent mysticism, that it is an encounter with God that involves not only the affections of the heart, but also the convictions of the mind. We are not called to choose between a Christian life based on truth and doctrine or a life filled with spiritual power and experience. They go together. Tim goes on to say, I was not being called to leave behind my theology and launch out to look for something more for experience. Rather, I was meant to ask the Holy Spirit to help me experience my theology. I love how that goes along with this idea that we talked about in the beginning of this Endure theme, that experience doesn't hold the same weight as the Word of God. But instead, we are meant to ask the Holy Spirit to help us experience the Word of God. So this communion with God is not absent of experience and emotion and tears that might rise up in us and surprise us sometimes. God put all those emotions in us for a reason. I've heard it said that emotions are real. They just aren't reliable in terms of building a foundation upon them. But goodness, the Psalms are full of the widest range of emotions, the depths and the heights. It's beautiful to remember that we can bring all of who we are into this communion with God, while also training our minds to be engaged with and on what's true. When I think about engaging the mind in prayer, I can't help but think of, of course, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where it says, pray continually or pray without ceasing. I know I've giggled about this before, imagining all of us walking around with our heads bowed and our eyes closed all day. We for sure couldn't get from point A to point B if we prayed like that all day, nor could we get anything done. 
My ESV study Bible says that praying without ceasing instead suggests a mental attitude of prayerfulness, continual personal fellowship with God, and consciousness of being in His presence throughout each day. So the idea here is actually opposite of Nathan's dial and hang-up joke. The beloved of God are already dialed in, and the line is left open as far as our minds having the ability and privilege, really, to be set on our Father throughout the day. These two nights with Jenny have ended a lot of nights with her leading anyone in the room who wanted to become a Christian through a prayer to receive Christ. But then I loved it that she purposefully didn't say amen at the end, and she pointed it out because she said, and it goes on and on from here, y'all. There's no amen in it. It just keeps going. We're dialed in. We weren't meant to hang up, but rather the lines of communication are meant to be open and the consciousness of being in His presence throughout each day is meant to be ours to enjoy. It was never meant to be a duty that we have to uphold, but more a delight. I will say that praying without ceasing is the form of prayer that I've learned to use the most. And before you think I'm trying to sound super spiritual, (laughs) like I'm saying that I just never stop praying— I will just say that I wish that that were true. But what I mean is that more than any other practice around prayer that I use, this one is actually more practical than it sounds. Praying continually actually has everything to do with the fact that we connect with the Lord around His Word in the morning. This is just my experience. And as I mentioned before, if you don't know a place to start, the Psalms are always on point. You can never go wrong with just praying the Psalms, getting in them, reading them, meditating on them. This morning, I was feeling heavy about a bunch of deadlines, and I just sat down to center my heart in God's Word. And the verse came to my mind that says, you make known to me the path of life. Well, I didn't know right away where that's found in Scripture. So I Googled it, and I saw that it's Psalm 16. I just left out the fact that our internet is so slow out here at Keeper's Branch that I could have actually looked in my gigantic Strong's Concordance and just about the same time that I Googled it. (laughs) But for those of you with normal internet, if a phrase of Scripture comes to you, search it and go with it. So I went with Psalm 16 this morning because I believe that the Spirit of God was bringing it to my remembrance for a reason. And I'm going to go ahead and read it to you now because I love getting to read the Word of God over you for one thing. But also you can just see where... He was centering my heart, grounding it in His truth when I was kind of in disarray. Psalm 16 says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol and let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So yes, the Psalms are always a good idea and a great place to start. And consider that as you stand up and walk away from your time with the Lord, that you have started a conversation that's going to go on and on throughout the day. 
Even if it's just one verse, you take from that and meditate on it as you go about your day and then build your prayers around that. There's this idea that you can keep your mind engaged, that He is with you all day long. So praying without ceasing is this marriage of your mind and your heart, staying engaged in this consciousness that He is with you and that He has something to say to you today about everything you're getting ready to walk into. And how beautiful is it that the Spirit of God is constantly reminding us of His love And Jesus said in John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So wouldn't it be life for us today to stay connected and tuned in with the one who is constantly reminding us of God's love, that He's going to bring to our remembrance all that Jesus has said? That's a life source and a phone line that we want to open all day. This aspect of prayer is something that I share with many of my friends. In fact, I've got friends who will just start praying right in the middle of conversations all the time with their eyes open and just a normal speaking voice, like not a lofty prayer voice. I share this with my kids too. They are just not weirded out now at all by the fact that I will just start praying wherever we are out loud, even when they were really little, when I was about to lose it in the car because they were losing it in the car, I would have to make a conscious choice to pray instead of scream. (laughs) And that's not to say that I've never turned around and screamed at them because I have. And then I've had to get on my knees later and ask them to forgive me. But I remember a repetitive prayer that I began to pray a lot in those days in that season. And it was, Lord, give me patience beyond my capability. I prayed that often in that season when life just seemed like there was so much on my plate and there were people pulling at me The kids, I was trying so hard to raise them in the way that I felt like God wanted me to. And when things didn't go my way, it was hard. And I would just say, Lord, give me patience beyond my capability. So repetitive prayers, I think, are an actual thing. And it falls in line with this pray without ceasing. I believe it's legit to find these repetitive prayers that maybe follow along the same lines of what Tim Keller was pointing to, that yes, we have this Abba cry in us by the Spirit, but then the Spirit of God also comes alongside us as well with a more direct testimony where it gets personalized in our lives by the Spirit of God based on what He knows that we're facing. Another repetitive prayer in my life is that my children, and when I pray this, I name them each by name, will love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength that they would love Him more than anything. That's a recurring prayer I pray for them, not as a cop-out, but a blanket prayer. And I know that usually a blanket prayer is sort of used in a negative connotation. But I think in this case, why wouldn't I cover my kids in prayer like a blanket when it comes to this subject? Because the thing is, obedience and good life choices are far more likely to grow out of love for Jesus being set down deep in their souls by the Spirit of God than just starting with praying that they're going to make good life choices. One other repetitive prayer, and I'm just sharing mine with you as a way of hopefully affirming that God has maybe given you some repetitive prayers in your life. And I wonder if maybe you were just wondering, like, is this a lazy way of praying? But I believe that repeating prayers and truth is biblical. Again, look at the Psalms. But this other repetitive prayer that I actually pray for my husband is, Lord, lead Nathan to lead us. This is a blanket prayer that the Spirit of God would reach down and nudge Nathan about whatever we're supposed to do and be a part of as a family. And I've watched this prayer come alive many, many times in my life when I've prayed this. A repetitive prayer that I pray over my own life, probably every time I get up to lead worship, 
and speak. And, and honestly, every time I record a podcast, I pray not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, Lord. These are actually the words of the Lord from Zechariah 4, 6, but it's my way of saying yes and amen to the fact that I should not ever put any confidence in my flesh in order to lead others, but instead I should always acknowledge that it's going to be by the Spirit of God. We're going to wrap up here and actually make this a two-part series around praying to endure. I hope you've been encouraged today around this idea of the intimacy and the awe of knowing and experiencing the Lord, the friendship and the fear, and what it's like to be able to communicate with Him. Now that we've had a little bit of background, you know, of the prayers of the Beloved's foundation, we can kind of pick up here where we left off and what it looks like in the mundane to put these prayers into action in our everyday lives and just being able to trust that there's power in them even when we might not immediately see it. I hope I've been a little bit like the disciple John today, but even more so like Jesus in reminding you of His love over you today, and that in remembering this, you might be bold like the beloved are allowed to be bold in getting near the Lord today. Like Hebrews 4.16 reminds us, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I'll talk to you soon.